Well, bananas are uniquely frustrating. In my opinion, they're the single most frustrating fruit on the planet, and some of you know exactly where I'm going with this. They have about, give or take, about two and a half hours where they're in their optimal consumption stage, you know, two and a half to 15 maybe, where they're perfectly good to eat. Have you been there? You, you leave to go to the office in the morning, a banana would be great, and you check, and it's a little, it's not right yet, not quite right. So you say, well, I'll just get one tonight when I get home. You get home to find this on your counter. <laughs> you, you've been here, you've been here. See, for me, this is an absolutely useless banana. Completely useless. You, you almost wish they would put a timestamp on this thing that says, this banana will be good from 1.15 to 2.45 on Tuesday. It would be hugely helpful. But here I stand with this banana. It's completely useless to me because my purpose was to eat this. And in fact, after our time this morning, this banana will probably most likely be in a trash can back there. Um, but some of you, some of you say, no, no, hold on. Hold on. That banana is not useless. That banana would be perfect to bake with. Now, I don't do any baking. I enjoy banana nut bread as much as anyone, but I do no baking, okay? But this banana, from what I've told, would be perfect. It's mushy and nasty, but it would be perfect for baking. Now, what happened here? In a moment, we have the same banana, but we have a different purpose, which then gives us a different perspective, Same banana, different purpose, which then gives us a different perspective. Life is like that. That whatever our our purpose is, however we see our purpose, is going to change our perspective. See, I perceive that this banana is useless because my purpose is to eat it. You perceive that this banana is useful because your purpose is to bake with it. Same banana. Same banana. The reality is that our purpose shapes our perspective. Our purpose shapes our perspective. And the way we see our purpose changes everything. Now, let me give you a human example, okay? Might be, it might be helpful. Um, I grew up in the church, and I grew up thinking that Paul was incredible. I wanted to be like Paul. Imagine having the kind of impact that the Apostle Paul had the kind of gospel impact that he had. But then I grew up and I read more of my New Testament and realized, I'm not sure if I want that gig. (laughs) Have you seen that? I'm not sure if I quite want rocks thrown at me that often and jail and all of that. But you, you wonder, when you read Paul's life, why he chose to do the things that he chose to do. Why did he make the life decisions that he chose? You have to step back and wonder why he chose the things he did. And I think Paul is a good example of this. I want you to follow with me. I want you to imagine that you've risked everything to take the gospel to a community. You've risked it all. You went and you were telling people about Jesus only for those people to pick up rocks and start nailing you with them. Only for those people to drag you into a prison. Then you escape from that prison only to go back out into those streets and do the same thing. Why on earth, Paul? I have uh, another good example, and this one I really want you to put yourself in Paul's shoes. You were called by God to take 
Jesus to a place that is hostile. I want us to picture this morning maybe someplace in China or the Middle East or parts of India, northern Africa, where they are especially hostile toward the gospel. God's called you to go. For Paul, this was Rome. So you say, you know what, God? I'm going. You get on a boat and you set sail for Rome, only to be shipwrecked for three months. How many of us, how quickly would we go, okay, seriously? Did I miss something here, God? Did did I miss your calling? But it gets better. It gets better. As we find out, they float onto a shore. Like I think of the movie Castaway. He floats onto this shore and he thinks, you know what? It's okay. I'm going to go get some firewood. We're going to build a fire. We're going to regroup. So you go and you get the firewood only to be bitten by a venomous, poisonous snake. Deadly snake. How many of you, I mean seriously, how many of you would be questioning at this point, God, what am I doing? Did I miss something here? Because I chose to go, and as soon as I chose to go, life got crazy. Like, shipwreck and snake bites happened. This has to be a sign, right? But Paul was not shaken by this. How? How was he not shaken by this? How was he not shaken to his core to stop what he's doing and to reevaluate? I believe it's perspective. And I believe it's the way we see our purpose that changes everything. In the text that we get the privilege of looking at this morning, you see it so incredibly beautifully. Um, I want to, if you have your Bibles, invite you to open them with me. We're um, still in Philippians. So we're in Philippians chapter 1. And the text that we're going to be looking at is, is actually one of my favorites. I grew up memorizing this text. And I want to be really clear as you're getting there in your Bibles. Um, in the rest of our time here, in the rest of our time here this morning, I want to see two things really happen. First, if you are a follower of Jesus this morning, uh, my hope is that in this time that you will understand what it's like to follow Jesus more deeply. That in this moment you won't, you'll resist the temptation to say this is a good message for someone I know or a friend, they need to hear this, but that for us we can, we can really as individuals look at ourselves in light of this text. And two, if you are not a follower of Jesus yet, um, my prayer is that in this time you'll get a glimpse of what it really looks like to follow after Jesus, a glimpse of what it really, really looks like. So let's turn, we're going to start in verse 20 uh, this morning. In verse 20, and we'll, we'll kind of pick it apart, we'll move slowly. It says this, first, or, um, Philippians First chapter, starting in verse 20, it says this, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death, whether by life or by death, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. For me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Now, I think if we're honest, that we would probably switch the order of this verse. Uh, as I was preparing, I kind of 
I would switch the order. My tendency would be to read this as, for me to live is gain, but to die is Christ. You know, it would be great. This life is awesome, but hey, when it's over, I get Jesus. Uh, You've heard it, you know, this search for our best life right here, right now, this is it. But hey, at the end, when we die, we get Jesus. Paul is flipping this completely on its head and saying, no, to live means to be on mission for Jesus, and to die is really better for me. While I'm here, it's mission, but to die means that I get to be in the presence of Jesus, that it's better for me. My best life is later. It's coming. It's not now. And Paul gets this. Paul gets this. And so we look at this first part. To live is Christ. This is a fantastic purpose statement for Paul. To live, my purpose is to live for Christ, to live on mission for Christ. We're going to unpack what that looks like. And as we do, I want to give us an example to help us think through this, okay? I want us to compare a cruise ship to a battleship. Okay, how many have been on a cruise? You guys need to go on more cruises. Um, My wife and I went on our fifth year wedding anniversary. It was before kids, and we both looked back on that time, and it was such an incredible trip. It really was. You don't have to have gone on a cruise to answer this question, but if you were to go on a cruise, what would be some of your expectations of this cruise? Rest, maybe relaxation, recharging, uh, maybe entertainment, good company, a time when your cell phone's not on because it doesn't work out there, which is phenomenal. And it's this time where you're away, you're cut away. It's so, uh, it fills you up. And that's what you expect when you step on a cruise ship. Now let's contrast that now and let's think of a battleship. Now I've never served in the Navy. Uh, I have been on a battleship before. And correct me if I'm wrong, but it's not really designed for comfort, luxury. I mean, I've been in the cruise quarters. That would be hard, right? Um, It's not designed. There's no pool on deck. There's no comedian that comes. It's, It's not built like that. You come on with a different set of expectations. On a battleship in a time of war, you come with duty on your mind with mission on your mind, with a sense of urgency, like a fire in you. You, That ship was built for a specific reason, and you're serving that purpose. Completely different mentalities. Completely different mentalities. Now the question is, how do you perceive your life right now? Are you on a cruise ship, or are you on a battleship? We're going to dig into this a little deeper. But for Paul, I think it's pretty clear. Paul is on a battleship. That's the reason he made the decisions he made. Paul is in the middle of a war. Um, You see this language all throughout the text. You see this language of urgency, of, of mission. You see text in like 1 Peter where it says, we're in the midst of a war that wages for our very souls. Uh, in Ephesians, Paul in chapter 6, Paul says, put on the full armor of God. It's a war. It's urgent. It's a battlefield. And Paul is pushing us 
to that. And it's all throughout the text, but here's my concern. My concern is that we're soldiers who are in denial. That we're soldiers who are going out with a vacation mindset and all of those sounds of bombs going off in the background, we push those away. Say so that's not really reality, but right now what I want to focus on is how good I feel, where I'm going in my life, and I want to be happy, but we are missing the fact that bombs are going off all around us and that we're in the middle of a war. Uh, picture with me that we're a group of people stepping onto a battleship. We're sailing out to war, and all we packed were flip-flops. We, we spend our entire time on the ship complaining about our bed and about the onboard entertainment and that there's no place for me to suntan. That's the reality. I, I feel like that's where so much of our church globally is, that we have a cruise ship mentality on a battleship. And I want us to... Consider for a moment what Paul is pushing us to think through. There's going to come a day when that cruise ship, as cheesy as it sounds, is, is a reality. That rest is here, that peace, that there's no more of this struggle, there's no more of this battle of sadness and sin. It's all done. As Paul says, to die is gain. It's going to get better. It's coming. But it is not now. It is not now. And I am convinced, I want to push the pause button for just a moment, that if we get this, that so many things in our life will begin to change. Let me look at one example. Materialism. I think most of us would acknowledge that materialism has been something that the church in America has struggled with tremendously. Is that correct? It's been something that we've dealt with. It's our search for more and more things. It's, it's organizing our life to, in a way to get more and more things. It's finding our identity in our stuff. It's kind of been where we, it's kind of where we've been um, as the American church as, as a whole. Listen to me here. Materialism is a peacetime problem. It's a problem that you have in peace. You don't find very many soldiers in the heat of battle struggling with materialism. It's not typically on their radar. They're concerned with what is at hand, the task at hand. And I am convinced that if we grab hold of purpose, of our purpose our true purpose, that the things that have a grip on our lives, many of them will start to begin to lose their grip in our lives. There is nothing that the enemy wants more than for us to live happy, perfect, lovely lives. And at all through all of that, never understanding what it is that we are truly here to do. The enemy would want nothing more. And I'll say one more thing before we get back into the text about the battle that we're in, the interesting thing is we know who wins. We know the outcome. We know that we don't have to walk in fear. We know that whatever we encounter now, that in the end, it will be made right. 
We know the winner. We get to stand on the hope of Romans 8 that says nothing will separate us from the love of God through Christ. Not death, not life. We know that and we stand on that. We stand on texts that says greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. We stand on these texts because we know the winner. So for Paul to live is Christ, to die is gain. And then Paul goes on to unpack that a little more. And I want to pick up in verse 22. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Which means if I'm to stay here, that means I'm on mission. Fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. In this text, Paul is comparing two things. He's comparing his, his life in ministry. And keep in mind, he's in prison when he's writing this. He's comparing his life in ministry to the future hope to be with Christ one day. And for him, he says, there's no question this is better for me but there's also no question that me staying is better for them. That me staying is better for them. And why does Paul think it's better? Why does Paul think it's better? Let me, in verse 20, 25, I will continue with you all for your progress. Notice it doesn't say for his progress. And your joy, not his joy in the faith, but their joy, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ. This is Paul's shifting from inward to outward and looking at them. And the, the, the thing you see here, let's be honest, they needed him to stay. Church, who needs you to stay? Who is it that needs you to stay? If, for whatever reason, God takes you home today, would your community, would the people you do life with, would they notice a difference? And I'm not saying would they be sad, would they mourn, but would there be a hole there, a gospel hole there if you were taken out of your office? Would it make a gospel difference if you were no longer there? Let's bring it into this room. Would it make a difference if you never came to church here again? Would the brothers and sisters in this room feel a gospel difference because you're not here? Let's ask this of ourselves corporately. As a church, would our community feel it would they know it? Do they need us to stay? If we closed our doors, would they care? Would they notice? Who needs us to stay? Who needs you to stay? 
Paul looks at his life and he says, they need me to stay. So for their sake, although this is far better, for their sake, I'll stay. I will stay. And he knew that staying meant more beatings. He knew staying meant more rocks thrown at him. He knew staying meant more prisons. But for their sake, he will stay. For their sake, he will stay. So the question I think an honest person needs to ask ourselves is if this is true, if our present reality is nothing compared to what's coming, why does God in love come as, as soon as we come to faith in him and pick us up and take us home? Why does God not just put an end to this and come as soon as we come to faith and come and pick us up and take us to be with Jesus, which is far better? Why? Why are we still here? The reality is, and I don't know why this is true, honestly, God is is sovereign and he knows, but God has a mission to accomplish And strangely enough, he's chosen you and me to accomplish it through. He has a mission in this weird thing that now he expects to accomplish it through us. I've heard it said that you are the plan and there is no plan B. That you're the plan for your office and no one else is coming. You're the plan for your office. Now, would it be easier to just stay quiet and not bring this whole Jesus thing into a workplace. Yes, it would. It would be much easier and probably much safer. But you are the plan. Now, I'm not saying lose all wisdom and come and bring your Bible and hit people with it. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is you can't use that excuse as a reason not to get into the mission. You are the plan. The plan for your neighborhood, you. The plan for your school, you. God's plan to make disciples is his disciples. Older men and women in this room, the plan for the younger generation is you. Would it be easier to withdraw? Yes. Would it be less frustrating? Yes. But you're the plan, and no one else is coming. There is no plan B. You are the plan. If we grabbed hold of this, imagine. Church, there's coming a time when there's a day of rest, and it's going to be peaceful, but today is not that day. And for Paul, he realized that his work was not done. He realized he still had something to accomplish. And so, church, what do you still have to accomplish? What do you still have to accomplish? Because our perspective needs to shift from ourselves to others. It has to. You're the plan of God to bring the gospel to others. Now, I think you'll be able to attest to this, but... The more we make our lives about us, the more miserable we become. The more we focus on our own happiness, the more 
unhappy we truly become. The more you place yourself at the center of your life, the less fulfillment you have, the less satisfaction you have. It's this weird phenomenon that takes place. And the reality is that it's because we're not operating in our purpose when we do that. I'll bring the banana back to it. It's like this banana, okay? It's like this banana. The purpose of this banana is to bake with it. Just like the purpose of our lives is to bring the gospel to others. Okay? To bring the gospel to others. The moment we continually make this life about us, about our fulfillment, about our happiness, about our progress, we continually miss the purpose. And it is like eating nasty brown bananas and not realizing there's something more. Is there any wonder why there's no satisfaction in that? Is there any wonder why there's no fulfillment in that? This is gross. Stop eating it. And I feel that's the wake-up call for us, that we need to stop and realize that we're missing our purpose, and that if we were to grab hold of our purpose, that our perspective of our life would totally, completely change. And I want to finish this morning something very, very practical. I want to give us something that, as we leave, we can take out and put into place immediately. I want to give us three things, okay? The first one is a question. I want you to answer this. It says, who are the people who need you to stay? Who are the people that need you to stay? Name them. Ladies, name them, put them in your purse. Men, if you have a Bible, put it in your Bible. Put it in your wallet. Name them and keep them. By name. It's important. By name. If you're sitting here and you say, I have no idea who needs me to stay, then from today to tomorrow morning, whenever you get a moment, I want you to take a moment and pray that God would open your eyes to the reason he's put you where he's put you. As I was preparing this, um, I thought of the massive amount of people we have in our faith community here that are a part of the military, that we're moving, we're transient a lot of times. Um, I've, already, I've only been here for a few months, and I've already had to say goodbye to some people who are transitioning to another community. Imagine if you got it, if you grabbed hold of this. Think of the urgency that you would have, that you have a limited number of days, you have a limited number of nights, you have a limited number of conversations, and there's going to come a time when you're not here anymore, but you have urgency when you are here. Imagine if we got this. Who needs you to stay? And name them. Number two, continually revisit this list. It does no good to write them down and to throw them where you'll never read them again. This list is for you to be continually reminded of your mission. Uh, so many times I hear that we don't know where to start in our prayer life. Let me just tell you, this is a great place to start. To put the mission God's put on your heart and begin to pray for them. Begin to pray for those people. Begin to look for opportunities. So who are the people who need you to stay? 
Once you get those people, we continually revisit the list. And then number three, be ready and obedient when God provides opportunities. This strange, this is strange, I know. But God wants to use you. Let that sink in. God wants to use you. And when you step back and you get the mission, do not be surprised when God begins to open doors and give you opportunities. Now, will this be easy? No. It will be messy. It was for Paul. It was messy. It was not easy, but it was worth it because it was the purpose that God had him there for. Some of you in here might be thinking honestly that you don't know me. I have missed it. I'm not that guy. My office does not know me as the Jesus guy. I can guarantee it. Some of you are here and you think you might have already stepped beyond where you can go and actually get credibility back. And I want to let you know that God's not done with you yet. He's not done with you yet. And how do I know that? Because you're still there. You're still there. God is not finished with you yet. And I want to encourage you, take heart in the fact that God still wants to use you in the midst of that office. Some of you might sit here and think, yeah, but that's Paul. He's a little bit of a super Christian, right? Jesus straight up appeared to him and blinded the dude. Slapped him around a little bit and said, go, do this. I mean, my conversion moment was not like that. So some of you might be here and say, you know what, if God did that, I'm all over it. I'll be shipwrecked because Jesus straight up appeared to me and blinded me. I'll, I'll go. But I want to draw your attention, and this is in closing. Jesus, before he ascended, was standing in front of a group of average Christians. Um, average Christians. It was, it was to the church globally. It was to all his followers. And before he left, he gave an interesting mission statement. Go, therefore, and make disciples. There was no stipulation to this that you have to be a super Christian. In fact, they don't exist. It was just as hard for Paul as it will be for you. Go, therefore, make disciples. To live is Christ. To die is gain. Would you pray with me? God, we are, first we come to you and we ask for your forgiveness for all of the moments that we have missed it. For those of us who are sitting in an office that you know that you're not known for being, for your faith and for following you, we stop and we just, God, we acknowledge that we mess up. In the midst of that, though, we know that you're faithful and we know that you've called us and we know that you have set us apart. And we know because we are here that you're not done with us. And I pray for every person in this room that you give them that assurance that you are not done with them, that there is more to do, there's more to accomplish for you. 
So God, we pray that you open our hearts and you open our eyes to the mission that you have for each and every one of us individually and then corporately as this church, that we walk in that, that we live for you, that we serve you with everything that we have until that day when finally we see you again and we're in your presence. In Jesus' name, amen.